prophecies of all the prophets who came. There was this constant flow of communication from God to his people, to the world, on and on and on. For over a millennia, God had spoken practically nonstop. Then, with the last prophet, Malachi, he wrote these last words, put his pen down, and God, for the first time in over a thousand years, went silent. And for the longest period of time since Moses was alive, God didn't say anything to anyone. For 400 years, there was nothing but dead silence. Then after four centuries, God opens his mouth and he speaks. And what do you think would be the very first thing that someone, that God would say to his people? Nothing but silence for 400 years. He says, I want you to write this down. And he begins the first book of the New Testament with a genealogy. You think, what? Did you not go to literary school or to speech class and, and understand that you start off with a great introduction? You want to get people's attention. No one's heard from you for a long time. What is it that you want to say? I would like to recite the family tree. <laughs> I would like to go through what many of us, come on, admit it, But many of you, when I first began reading Scripture, I thought, I want to know about Jesus. I I just fell in love with Him, and I thought, I'll get get back to the Old Testament, but what I really want to know is about Jesus. So I began with the first book, Matthew, of the the New Testament, and I think I'm going to read these histories, these four different accounts of Jesus. And it begins for 16 verses. He just goes on with, and this guy had this baby, and then this baby had another baby. And it just, I thought, well, no wonder people don't read your book more often. <laughs> this is a little, a little dry. I mean, it's not the same as like when you get over to John, and he's so dramatic. You know, John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You think, oh, that's good. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. That's cool, John. That's a way to write. Matthew, it's your turn. Well, there was one guy and had a child. I mean, you just think, Matthew, come on. But what he's doing is so exciting. And that's what I want to share with you, that it's a mosaic. It's this life that is unfolded and revealed to us. and, And we're a little detached from it. And we don't exactly understand, but I want you to, if you take anything away today, I want you to see that all these books that are compiled were very purposeful, meaningful, because it's a mosaic. We are a mosaic. The dictionary says that a mosaic is a picture or a decoration made up of diverse, multicolored, small pieces. 
I had to do one uh, for my senior project in college because I was an art minor. And I can remember how tedious it was to put all these pieces in the right place. And it just builds and builds and builds until you have something beautiful. And in reality, that's exactly what a family tree is. It's a picture of a family made up of these individual specific pieces that we call ancestors or descendants. And and we all have them. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. (laughs) If you're a father, uh, what lives after you is your children. What lives after your children is their children. After their children, their children. And what we're talking about is a family tree or a genealogy. I never had the opportunity to worship with my family. I did get to preach in my grandparents' church one Sunday evening in Falls, Tennessee. And my grandparents were there. Other than that, my parents came to my ordination service in 1982. Those are the only two times I was inside of a church that the context wasn't a funeral or a wedding. And that bothered me. And and as I I began to walk with the Lord, I felt this regret. You know, I felt like there's something missing. There's a gap. There's a hole in my spiritual experience. And I look back and and I would talk to my friends about their experiences with their parents and with others. And and I always missed that. And I always thought, God, I wish I could have had that. And the Lord, when we lived uh, in the house where we are before now, we, we were here in Knoxville. And I was just thinking about that. And And God just spoke into my heart. He said, Dan, that's your family, but your family will be those who live in the next generation and the generation to follow that. And that will be your legacy. You will change the name of Riley and what it means and what comes to people's minds and what they think about when they think of someone... Right, yeah, I know, I know them, yeah. You're going to alter that. You're going to change that because of my grace in your life. And he's doing that. All of my family are in this room today. And one just sang, and we got to worship and lead worship together. How beautiful is that? God moves and works in, in very specific ways. And, but it's still hard for me to believe that after 400 years of saying nothing, God would break the silence with a genealogy. And a guy like me should understand. I think, wow, I should get that because, you know, how, how, how beautiful is that? That Matthew would begin writing a book uh, with, of all things, well, here's the way this kind of happened. But, and, and I want you to think with me for a second. Is there a more boring part of the Bible than endless genealogies where you read names of people you've never heard of. A lot of them you can't even pronounce. And and how they produced people that you've never heard of. And and it just kind of goes on. Have you ever read that and thought, why is that important? Why would you take up valuable space and put that in there? And you read through it really fast. You ever read those daily, you know, yearly Bible programs and you get to those and you go... Okay, you know what? I'm just going to kind of skim that one. 
I have. Don't tell a lot of people. Well, I want to challenge your thinking today because this has just come alive for me. Genealogies really aren't boring. They're absolutely fascinating if they meet one criteria. There's only one thing that has to happen before a genealogy can just come alive and really be exciting. It has to be your genealogy. (laughs) Right? Doesn't that change it all of a sudden? I mean, don't you see those commercials on television about Ancestry.com and you think, I want to know that. I want to know where I came from and who's back there. I want to to hear some of those stories. Well, that's really kind of what God does. Now, my name is Riley. One of the first ancestors that I know about is a guy named Con Kachkoch. I'm just kind of making up how that's pronounced because I don't know. Uh, he had a common name of Khan of the Hundred Battles. That sounds pretty cool to be an ancestor. I'm already interested, Khan of the Hundred Battles. Yeah, that's where I came from. And I want you to see this. Uh, this is my family crest. This was the first name, Ragalis, and that became O'Reilly after him. Uh, he was killed in the Battle of Conclave. Um, and, and you see there in the middle, there's this bloody hand. Come on, every guy, is that not cool to have blood on your... Yeah. And the story behind that is that there was, um, there was this competition, and it was a race to see who could get uh, to this shore first because the king said, whoever can touch the land first will get his choice of this area. And so these siblings, these brothers, and the end was a boat race, and they're in these boats, and, he, and he's dropping behind, and he sees he's going to lose. And so what he does is he applies our family motto, fortitude et prudentia, which means courage and wisdom. And drawing his sword, he, he pulls his courage together, and being wise enough to know that the resources in front of him are more, he cuts off his own hand. Only a Riley would do that. <laughs> And he throws it from the boat up onto the shore. And he touches the beach first. True story. And he chooses. He chooses that land which becomes County Kavan. Kavan. And and that's where we came from. And history unfolds. And it continues to move forward. Until the the early and mid-1800s. Famine swept all over Ireland. And because of that, my great-great-great-great-grandfather, Jack O'Reilly, left Ireland and came to New York City. And from there, uh, uh, in fact, on the dock that day, he dropped the O because he wanted to sound more American. So he became just Riley. And then from there, he, did, he moved to West Virginia. And from there, he decided, I want to live in California. So he began to go across the country. He got as far as Crockett County in West Tennessee. And he stopped there for the winter. And after the winter was over, he decided that he liked West Tennessee so much that he would just live there. So he had a family, and that family had a family, and that family had a family, and that family had me. And Calvary Baptist Church called me to be on staff here, so we moved from West Tennessee to East Tennessee. 
and planted a new family. Your family probably unfolded in similar ways. You see, you think, Dan, that's really great. I doodled. I filled in all the O's and D's and P's on, on my handout while you were saying that. Because I'm not interested in your genealogy. I'm just interested in mine. You see, that's the way genealogies work. And when you really dig into some of these genealogies in the Bible, they're not boring at all. In fact, they're fascinating. And you learn that genealogies are really maps of how God has moved in the life of your ancestors for thousands of years. And it's the reason that you are who you are. And as we look at this genealogy this morning, found here in the book of Matthew... I want you to keep in mind this, this thing that's running in the background. Matthew is a Jew, and his book was written for Jewish people. For centuries, the Jews had been eagerly anticipating the birth of Messiah, who would become their king. Messiah had been the number one topic of conversation for the prophets and the teachers for hundreds of years. And every Jewish rabbi had to be an expert in understanding Messianic prophecy. And it's no wonder then that the very first verse of the New Testament reads like this. Matthew 1.1 The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What an introduction. What a great beginning, huh? Any rabbi, any Jew, any student of the Old Testament would have looked at that verse and thought, here we go. It all comes down to this. God had promised a Messiah who would be a king. And we're going to see that Matthew presents Jesus as a king. The thing I love about these first four Gospels, these histories, these biographies of Jesus' life, you've got four guys writing from four different viewpoints. Four different perspectives of the life of Jesus. And they all flow seamlessly together in perfect harmony. But they each involve these guys, their personality is involved. And so we get this full picture. Jesus would come as king. And we understand that a king has to prove his right to the throne, to succession, not by vote, not by a ballot, but by birth. And that's why you read the last name of this genealogy like this. Look at verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called Messiah. Everything from Genesis to Malachi was for one purpose. That Jesus Christ, God's Son, the King, the Messiah, the Savior of the world might be born. Nobody is an accident. The key takeaway for me this morning would be that God sovereignly chooses our identity, each one of us, to fit into His plan for the world. You are who you are. I am who I am because God chose us to be that person so that we would fit into His purpose and His plan for the world. I want you to see how, just a glimpse of how God does that. This is so awesome. And you know, I I thought about this last night. 
I think if I, because I like to think about things and information comes together for me in, in pieces. And, and one of the first things that pulled me to Jesus were the, the fulfillment that I read about of these prophecies. And I thought, but that's impossible. Nobody could do that. And it's like the Holy Spirit was going, yeah, right, get it? And I'm going, wow, then he must have really been who he said. And I want you to feel the sense of that today. That this is impossible, but it, but it happened. Here's how God did it. First of all, God oversees the future. I want you to listen to three verses, particularly three names in this family tree that Matthew's going to mention. First, in, in, in verse 2, he says this, Abraham who was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Look at verse 3. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron and Hezron the father of Ram. Verse 6. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba who had been the wife of Uriah. There are three names that you need to remember in this list. Abraham, Judah, and David. God had promised from the very beginning that Messiah had to come through a certain bloodline. Specifically, that Messiah had to come through the family of Abraham, Genesis twenty-two eighteen, the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49, 10, and the house of David. 1 Samuel 7, 12 to 13. Now you see why those names that, that, are, that are, you know, woven into the Old Testament show up in a concise way right here in Matthew, in these beginnings. Because any claim to the priesthood in Israel, any claim to royalty, always, always, always had to be verified by genealogy. Nobody could just step up and say, hey, I think I'm the guy. Anybody who had claimed to be Messiah, and a lot of people did, but they would be rejected one after the other because they couldn't prove they had a direct line to David the king himself. So these genealogies are not just about babies and, and bloodlines. We can trace the royal line of Israel. Now, all of those begats, you know, if you've got an older version, you know, just kind of in the Old Testament, they're, they're for a reason. God made a promise all the way, you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That Messiah would come from a woman, so she would be, he would be a human being. Through the family of Abraham, he would be Jewish. Through the tribe of Judah and the family of David, so he would be both Messiah and king. This is so awesome. Through 39 books, separate books, pulled together to make what we call the Old Testament, over 4,000 years of history, God was overseeing the future. He was busy keeping his promises and making sure that all the branches of the family tree of Jesus would fit together perfectly. You know, long before you and I were born, God was overseeing the future of who we would be. Think about that. You didn't choose your ancestors. You didn't pick your descendants, and neither did I. God did. You and I didn't just choose a link in the chain that resulted in our birth, and, and, and God didn't just 
do that with, with Christ either. God's sovereignty chooses our identity so that we would fit perfectly into His plan. In other words, you can know just by your birth, you have a unique identity. And God has a special purpose and a plan for your life. You know, the world will look back 2,000 years to this single event, the birth of Jesus. Still does. There is no other holiday that is celebrated more, not just in our country, but worldwide than Christmas. You know, the birth of Jesus was so significant. And it was the one thing that people had looked forward to for 4,000 years. So everybody living on either side of that birth, that's what they're thinking about. That's what they were focused on. So this point, this moment in time and in history, the birth of Jesus was no accident. It was not the result of, of chance. It was the result of a specific choice. And God wove all these things together. Every detail fit perfectly into place. Amazing. So the next time you wonder, you know, whether or not the world's just spinning out of control like a plane. I had a friend and, and you know, he said, does anything mean anything? He said, is there any rhyme to it all? And I said, absolutely. I said, the world is not just a runaway train. I said, you can read the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the New Testament. Just like Jesus, you are the result of a mosaic. This really encourages me because I think all those shady characters in my family tree, uh, you know, that strange uncle you have, and you, you just think, he's part of the plan. <laughs> I'm going to trust you on that one, God. You know, and you just, you take it by faith. God is overseeing the, the future. He's putting all these pieces together. And he sovereignly has chosen my identity. I love that. And the news gets even better. Check it out. God also overcomes the past. As you read Matthew chapter 1, everything seems to be going smoothly, right? I mean, it's all falling into place. All the pieces seem to fit. Family of Abraham, check. Tribe of Judah, check. Household of David, check. In fact, even after David, everything seemed to be in order because even though David had several sons, according to 1 Kings 1.30, uh, this had to work. The right to sit on the throne would pass through only one of those sons, Solomon. And David said this. This is in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 30. Your son Solomon shall be king after me, and he shall sit on the throne in my place. Now look at this. You fast forward to, to Matthew chapter 1, verse 6. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba. In other words, someone could be a descendant of the house of David and yet not have a legal right to sit on the throne because they didn't come through Solomon. So far, so good. But then, we hit a wall. I mean, there is a huge obstacle in the history of Jesus. In Jesus' past, there's this skeleton that on the surface looks like could prevent him from being the true and genuine Messiah. Listen to this. It's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 11. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah, 
and his brothers at the time of the deportation of Babylon. Jeconiah was a wicked, evil king. This guy was so bad that Jeremiah pronounced a curse on him. Here's what he said in, in Jeremiah twenty-two thirty. 30. Listen to this. Thus says the Lord, write this man down childless, a man who will not prosper in his days. And here it comes. For no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling ever again in Judah. We're cutting him out. It didn't mean that he would never have children. It, mean that, it meant that none of his descendants would ever sit on the throne of David. Hmm. If they came through the bloodline of Jeconiah, they're disqualified. And then we read here in Matthew 1 that Joseph, the husband of Mary, was a direct descendant of guess who? Jeconiah. This means that although Joseph inherited the legal right to the throne of David, because he had come through the, the line of Solomon, he could never sit upon the throne, neither could any, any of his descendants because of the, jer- the, the curse of, of Jeconiah. But it also means something else. If Jesus was the real literal son of Joseph, he would be under that curse. And he couldn't sit on the throne of David. So here's the problem. Let me just kind of, kind of make sure this is set up for us. Jesus must be the literal descent of David. Jesus must also be the legal descent of David, determined by the Father. Jesus can't be the real son of Joseph, Joseph without becoming, you know, coming under this curse of Jeconiah. I mean, it's, it's crunch time. It's, it's time for Messiah to be born, but there's a problem in the past. God knew that Jeconiah was in Joseph's past. He saw there was this knot in the family tree. There's this real problem for Jesus. But remember, God not only oversees the future, God overcomes the past. How does God do it? Tune in next week. <laughs> I mean, if this were Downton Abbey or Batman, I would say, oh, all right, we're just going to, you know, you think, no, 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 wait, wait. Remember, Everybody has two genealogies. In studying my genealogy, do you know what I found out? Half of everybody in my family tree were women. <laughs> yeah. One half of my ancestors, you know, I have my father's side and I have my mother's side. Now, remember, there are two genealogies. This is so great. There is one in Matthew chapter 1 we just read. There is another in Luke chapter 3. In Matthew, the genealogy is paternal. In Luke's gospel, it's maternal. He traces it back through Jesus' mother, Mary. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is so incredible. The legal right to the throne of David had to be established so that Jesus could rightfully claim to be Messiah. And that legal right 
always came, and it came through the Father. Matthew's genealogy proved that Jesus came from the line of David that went through Solomon. Joseph marries Mary, the mother of Jesus. He adopts Jesus and becomes his legal father. When you're adopted, you have all the legal rights of natural-born children. So Jesus had the full legal right to the throne of David. Now, the Bible is really, really clear that the Messiah had to be a literal descendant of David. Was he? Well, the answer is in Luke chapter 3. In fact, verse 31 says, the son of Nathan, the son of David. Guess what? Mary was a direct descendant of David too. But not through the kingly line of Solomon, because that's where the curse of Jeconiah fell, but through another son of David's. Nathan. So if you were to read these, and like I say, most of us have read these, and what do we do? We just skimmed right through it, right? We thought, well, now, if you had read them, you'd been really analytical and geeky about this, and you read this, you would have read, okay, check, 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 and you're reading Matthew, and you're reading Luke. You would have gotten all the way down to this point, and you'd go, whoa, wait a minute. It just split. It, the genealogy just went in two different directions. That's because when you compare the, the genealogies, the names, will, they will match exactly from Abraham all the way to David. And then it breaks up. Because Matthew follows the line through Solomon to Joseph. Luke follows the line from David to Nathan to Mary. The tree is split. One branch goes one way and one the other. I mean, I, both, this is what it means. Both legally and literally, genealogically and biologically, Jesus is the son of David and qualified to be Messiah and Savior of the world. I mean, I just had to ask myself the obvious question. Wow, who, how can that happen? Who worked all of that out? Who put this mosaic together? Who made sure this picture would be complete and keep all of the prophecies? Think about this. God is not limited by our past. You are not limited by your past or the past of your ancestors. Hear this. Some of you need to hear this. No matter who or what is in your background. God will overcome that and use you in a beautiful and powerful and amazing way. I don't care who your daddy was, who your mama was, who, even if you don't know. And some of you can say, I don't even know who that person is. God's got it covered because he overcomes the past. I love it. One other thing I want you to see. God overrides the present. If God is controlling tomorrow and God can take care of yesterday, doesn't it just stand to reason? I mean, doesn't it just make sense that God's in charge of today too? He was with Jesus and he's with you. Let's go back to that moment when Jesus was to be conceived and brought into the world. When it came time for the mosaic to be completed, God saw to it that Jesus would be born to a virgin and that he would be born without any of that natural sin flowing in his veins. 
Luke 3, 23. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli. He's given that room. You see, the way, even the way he expressed that. He was supposedly the son. He was the adopted son of Joseph, but he wasn't the blood son. He was not just the son of Mary, though he was, as verse 38 puts it, it just comes out, and people who say, you know, well, the Bible never says that. Uh, Luke three thirty eight says he was the son of God. <laughs> it's not implied. If Jesus had not been born of a virgin, here's the significance of that, then the genetic seed of any human being, even Joseph, would have been in him. He could have, you know, not have been Messiah, because not only that, he would be under this curse of Jeconiah. He would have been under the curse of the entire human race ever since Adam and Eve. So, you know, I just, I just stepped back and I had to walk around my office and think, wait, have I got this, am, am I seeing this right? Why did God use all these people that you read about in this family tree? He didn't have to. I mean, God is God, right? I mean, he, can do, he could have just left Jesus on somebody's doorstep. And nobody knew where he came from and could have always been this, this mystery. But instead, God worked it out and he did it up front. He did it out and he wrote it all down all the way through so that we could follow it. And I love this. I love that God worked through ordinary people just like you and me. In Jesus' family, there are all these characters, some righteous, some not so much. And in spite of the devil's best efforts to stop this, the last name in the list in Matthew 1.16 says it all. By whom Jesus was born, who is called Messiah. It's as if God is just putting on display and just saying to the, uh, the whole world, just like I said I would do it, I did it. The mosaic is complete. The picture is perfect. The masterpiece is finished. Messiah has come, and it's Jesus. You know, it's been pointed out that there are at least five points of identification where anybody in the world can find you. I mean, you think about this, and you can put it all on the front of an envelope. I have friends who live in other countries, and sometimes, you know, you write down the country, USA. Now, that eliminated about 200 countries. They know somewhere in the, the confines of the United States. And then it says, okay, he lives in Tennessee. Oh, well, now we know which state. Now they've zeroed in there. Well, he lives in Knoxville, not any of the other hundreds of cities around Tennessee. He lives in Knoxville. Then you put down the street. Oh, he lives on um, Hickory Grove Court. Oh, his number is 912. Now they know the how. They've got all the way down to what house. Then they put my name on it and say, just in case there are other people living in the house, this is the guy it should go to. Isn't that something? Think, wow, Dan, we've kind of known about that for a long time. Um, I mean, you can just be singled out from millions and millions of people all over the world because of your address. And just as Jesus had these certain markers that identified him as Messiah, you and I were born with certain markers chosen by God so that we'd fit into his plan. You're very specific. You're very purposeful and special and unique. And God wants our lives 
to be a masterpiece. And what is happening in culture, there is this shift in society that says it doesn't matter. None of it matters. We can abort 3,000 children a day, every day. And from 1972 to now, 50 million children, but it doesn't matter because they're not really that special. There will come a time when life will become more and more devalued. Makes me a little concerned because I I believe, I'm I'm not trying to get political on you here, I'm just saying I think because I get older, my life has less and less value. And it makes me wonder, will the same attempts to save that life, to preserve that life, be be, the same effort go into that on this end and on this end, and we'll just squeeze forward? I don't know, I'm just saying. I see this change. I see this shift and this dishonoring and devaluing of human life. And this is very countercultural what I'm what I'm teaching today. You do matter. Your life is valuable. To ever attempt to take that life before God Himself would choose to do that is an extremely selfish and short sighted act. God has a plan and a purpose for you. I'm going to close. I just want to read you this scripture in Ephesians 2.10. This is so beautiful and has such meaning for us. For we, you and me, we are God's masterpiece. Let's just read this scripture. You've got it on your phone there in you version, or you can see it up here or in your Bible. You just read this out loud with me. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things planned for us long ago. There's nothing holding you back. Not the past, not the present, not the future. God has designed you and desires for you to be a masterpiece of His grace. You can live for His glory. You can express the divinity of Jesus to others, His goodness in and through your life. You can be a part of the mosaic. He's putting this together even now and his family you are a part of the family tree of God don't you love that it's a mosaic we were in Washington D.C. and I went to the Vietnam War Memorial and I, I looked for a friend of mine's name a guy who helped teach me how to slalom on skis his name was Dennis. And I was sitting on, we had a red front porch, and I was sitting there. And one day my dad got off work, and he, I was just a teenager. And walking in from, from work, when he got to the steps, he turned and he said, we just found out Dennis died in Vietnam. And he went into the house. My dad was a very <laughs> tactful, sensitive, John Wayne, tough guy kind of man. And I just sat there. And so years later, I get there, and I'm looking for his name. 
And there it is. Out of all those names, he has his place. It's a place of honor and of significance. In reading this this weekend, I thought, my name is in the book of life. If you have embraced Christ, your name, your face, your presence, your history, your life is part of this beautiful mosaic. There's purpose and there's meaning. You were meant to be somebody and to do something, something beautiful and powerful. Where do you fit? Would you stand, please? Let's just take a time. Listen to this awesome song. Maybe there are decisions attached to some of the information, the, the affirmations we've learned today. Maybe you need to think and say, God, I, I've always been ashamed of my past, or I've always denied it, or I've tried to get away from it, and now I realize it's been so purposeful. I'm not going to be afraid or ashamed or, or hindered by, held back by my past anymore. My history now is the history of Jesus. I'm in Christ. His history is my history. Today... God's got today under his control. And the future he foresees. And he has something awesome and something amazing for you to be and for you to do. Will you embrace that? Will you join that mosaic, become a part of his family tree? Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your grace. Thank you for adopting me into your family. For being the most perfect, awesome, beautiful father that we could have ever dreamed or hoped for. And we trust you today. We are a part of your mosaic.